One of the most beautiful questions to ask anyone in pain is, what rises for you when? What rises for you when someone mistreats you? What rises for you when someone leaves you feeling abandoned or unseen? Asking this question gives us room to observe what rises within us without wanting to fix or change it. It allows us to notice that we're in pain, to see what's rising in our bodies, and it gives us the awareness that we do have choices. It's about remembering that we always have a choice. It's about cultivating it and not demanding that the pain leaves immediately. It's a journey. Experiencing trauma and grief is no walk in the park. None of this is easy. Reliving the prior pain of our old traumatic experiences, allowing ourselves to be visibly vulnerable, befriending the inner critic, or attempting to heal the wounded spaces within us as we try to move on throughout our lives is not easy. If you've been doing a lot of self-healing and releasing of old trauma lately, then this is the perfect podcast episode for you. Grief can teach us many meaningful things. Although it can be incredibly painful, there's an upside to allowing yourself to experience the fullness of what it is to be human. My most recent podcast guest, Claire O'Sullivan said, it's not a pain-free life, but a broader spectrum of life. It's about having patience at the threshold of pain, understanding the longing, and then comes the inspiration on how to continue to build your life in this moment. If you have been struggling with labels like depression, anxiety, or PTSD, just know that labels don't need to impede us. They can simply just invite us to get closer to the truth of what life is like for us. Cultivating compassion is a lifetime's work. You have needs, and Claire said, it is okay to long for harmony and beauty and peace. So if you're looking to make your today a little bit more livable, and you're looking to foster more moments of connection in your life, then make sure to tune into this episode. And remember, you matter. Give yourself space to fully inhabit and arrive home to yourself. So let's get started. Let's get deep. And I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the That's Deep podcast. I'm Naomi, and I'm an international board certified life and success coach, neurolinguistic programming practitioner, or NLP, as you've heard it, an empath, a mother, an introvert, and a podcast host. It is my mission to empower humans from the inside out through inner and outer exploration. Thank you so much for being here. If you love the show, please give it a follow and a five-star rating. I appreciate you so much. Now let's dive in. Thank you so much for being here today, Claire. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Naomi. Yay. So I just want to start with a short round of fun and personal questions so that our mm-hmm. listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Okay. All right. So what do you do for a living? And can you kind of share a little bit more about the work that you do? Okay. Um, I'm a self-compassion teacher and coach. So I do that through coaching, online classes, 
And I also offer study groups uh, and workshops, um, you know, lots of spaces for people to sort of have some time to slow down and develop this skill of sort of self-connection and loving ourselves, you know. So and, and with the pandemic, it used to be face to face in groups that with the pandemic, it's all online now, which is going, you know, it's building. OK. Yes. Oh, awesome. I love that. You're all about self-connection. That is so yes. amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think that um, it's something like a topic that's coming into our forefront more now, whereas in the past, I feel like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we just haven't been as connected to ourselves in the past or if we were kind of conditioned in different ways. So I have more questions for you. I better not get carried away. <laughs> Yeah, carry on that. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Go <Yes>. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before I jump into those types of questions, yeah. um, I want to know, where are you from? And has it shaped you in any way as a person? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was born in Dublin in Ireland. Uh, and it has shaped me. I live in the UK now. <clears throat> but it, it was a, an intense place to grow up. And, and I think we're a beautiful people. I think we're mostly intuitives. And I think we don't know what to do with that as a people. And so there's a lot of problems. People cling to things like religion and politics and um, substance abuse, you know, to somehow survive this beautiful sensitivity, you know. So I, I needed to get away. I left when I was 18 and that's just given me some space from my culture and my conditioning to try to sort of harvest what I can from it. I needed to get space from it, you know. It's a funny mix, you know, of really understanding the beauty of, of my heritage, you know, and the tragedy of it as well. Um, and just, yeah, need, it's, it's a real pity to have to have to leave it in order for me to sort of get some space and breathe and find out who I am just because of the religion and the politics and the sort of oppressive nature of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was looking at your website, and I know that you mentioned you grew up in Southern Ireland, which, yes. like you mentioned, you know, the, the religion seemed suffocating, and, yeah. you know, it, it was like almost like this idea where you were saying that you, you all were told that humans were innately wrong, right, and, and yes. flawed, and lots yes. of violence and oppression and, and loss, so would you be able That's to right. share a little bit more about your experience, and of course, um, you know, definitely use your own judgment. You don't have to share what you're not comfortable um, sharing, but just for those out there listening who have maybe going through the same thing or have gone through it, you know, what, what would you like to share with them? Yeah, thank you. I'll just maybe take that bit where you said, you know, my religion told me that I was wrong from birth. I was all wrong. There was something dark about me that needed curing, you know, and to have that sort of with your mother's milk, it sets up a type of conditioning where self-love is just almost impossible and self-connection even. So that's why my work is all about compassion, you know, to hold every human being with just this deep acceptance for who they are and how they show up no matter what, including my father was a violent alcoholic. And so my path has been, you know, the undoing of all of that, of moving away from right and wrong. And just today, I don't know if you know this phrase, but I heard the words post-dualistic era. And I'm going, thank God, you know, 
because this dualism of right and wrong, you're good or you're bad, uh, has no room for compassion in it. So I was thrilled to hear that we are now in the post-dualistic era. <laughs> you know, I'm celebrating that I'm definitely part of that. You know, that holds my father and his pain uh, in compassion as well. Yeah. Wow, wow. I just wanna just let you know that I see you and all of your resilience and your strength. And I just want to thank you for your vulnerability and your openness oh. with, with sharing your story. You know, Naomi, that's my hope. None of this is easy. Coming here, doing this with you, becoming visible. None of it's easy, especially as an introvert, you know. But my passion is stronger than that. So, you know, as I was getting ready and fixing my hair, because I didn't know if I'd be seen or not, you know, I was going, you know, you're grand, Claire. And I was reassuring myself. And because, I, you know, my, my concern about showing up, it is painful, but my passion to bring compassion into the world is greater. And so that's what gets me to sit down in the chair and do my work and become visible. And if sharing my vulnerability warms another, then my day is done, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and do you have any maybe like tidbits of, of wisdom or some tips for other people who are looking to tap into their more resilient side or to foster more resilience in their life? Yeah. You know, I think the main thing that I've discovered or uncovered is looking outside of myself as just a hiding to nothing. You know, if love comes my way, if warmth comes my way through life or through another human, then I'm ready for it, you know. But I have found that just takes so much energy to be looking for it from there. So if I've any resilience, I guess it's just constantly returning to myself going, no wonder this is hard. I love you, Claire, you know, whatever it is I ask myself to do. And that creates this warmth inside of myself. And I believe this is our natural heritage. This is how we're built. We're just miles from it. Yeah. So I guess, you know, the shit's hit the fan for me many times in life. And this is just where I go. I sit down myself and I go, I love you, Claire. And I'm sorry it's so awful. I'm sorry the culture is so painful and I love you and I'm with you. You know, that's kind of my <laughs> my cycle, if you like. So all of my work would bring people to that point. Tell me how it is to be you right now. This is where the wisdom lives. This is where the resilience and the strategies for our lives come from. Yeah, oh, I love that so much. I feel so much warmth from that oh. message that you just shared. So thank oh. you. And you just have a really calming presence. Our, our listeners <laughs> won't be able to see you on here, but you just have a really grounding, calming, gentle presence. And I appreciate that. That's great. You know, I suffer from anxiety, <laughs> depression, <laughs> and post-traumatic stress, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and those labels are sweet because they help me to go, Claire, you've been through some hard times, honey, and your nervous system is shaken, you know, so they don't impede me. They just invite me to get closer to the truth of what life's like for me, you know. So if I come across as warm and grounding, it's just a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think like a lot of the hard work it takes to manage that that stress and anxiety and you know the post-traumatic stress I feel like a lot of that does kind of shape you into a more grounded and calm person just because of the the 
tools that you need to use to maintain that type yeah. of you know state for your nervous system so yeah. yeah that's a lot of work and Naomi people ask me do I meditate I don't I'm sick of that sit down once a day and do something what's the point in that you know it's always irritated me so my I live compassion every few minutes a day it never leaves my sight when the pain rises for whatever reason you know even if it's a sudden knock on the door you know so for me, and I always thought there's something wrong with me, Claire, you're not sitting down meditating. But now I've landed into, ah, this is what I'm teaching. No special time, no special method. Just approach what's rising with as much spaciousness and care and um, a kind of a hospitality as possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I've also talked to other people who were like, yeah, you know, the, the, just the whole like traditional sitting down and meditating, like it's just not working for me. And other yeah. people have found ways to kind of tap into that meditative state and get into their flow state by maybe simply yeah. sitting outside with a cup of tea and watching the sunrise or, you know, yes. doing something that yes. does get you into that state, but it doesn't have to look the way that everybody else is doing it. No, and Naomi, another strand of my work is interspecies connection. I've done some training in that as well. So I would like to add actually that in recent times, getting my little three-legged stool and going out. I'm in the city here, but there's a little cemetery here that's so beautiful. I definitely sit for that and I listen and I've got my notebook. So I do adore stillness, but usually outside, you know, where I'm held by nature and by the trees and they're beautiful whatever it is they give off <laughs> that makes me feel so good you know so I do sit but it's there's no method to it but just I'm here you know yeah I like that and I want to ask you about your recent blog post so that was titled yeah. the inner critic hungers for warmth and I'm just yeah. wondering if you can share with the audience a little bit more about what this phrase means um, and you know what the article is about yeah <laughs> you know there's a bit of me pissed off with with some of the current culture about how to be with ourselves and it's things like overcome you know uh, get rid of fix sort so there's quite a fire in my belly when I meet that you know just that it doesn't resonate with me and the way I want to live so bringing warmth to the inner critic is understanding it's part of me. It has its origins in my early years, in my traumatic years, where my left brain formed certain thoughts. So thanks to neuroscience, I understand that now. I'm delighted. <laughs> and so I go, I understand left brain. I know, you know, you think I should do this or that right now, or they're no good, or I'm no good. I get it. I get your language. I hear you. What is it you want me to do? What is it we're longing for? And so through that, the right brain is stimulated and beautiful hormones flood our bodies. Our right brain's sitting there <laughs> waiting for us to call on it with this beautiful empathic process. So often when I work with people, you know, I can just see the relief flooding their body. The color comes back to their face. There might be some tears just because I've supported them to activate this tool that's available to all of us. 
you know, it's, it's quite a skill because we're not trained in it. You know, if we weren't held with warmth when we were little, it'll be very foreign to us. Ideally, we would have all been brought up with a group, a big group around us where there'd be lots of adults with regulated nervous systems going, I love you, Claire, come over, I'll hold you when I was little. They weren't, there was nobody there when the trauma was happening. So it's a big ask in our adult lives to call this in, but I'm definitely a living example that it's possible, you know. It doesn't hold out a future promise that tomorrow is going to be better. I'm not interested anymore in that. I just want my today to be livable, you know, and have some sweet moments of connection with people and animals and nature. You know, that's as far as I'm looking, you know. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like just keeping your intentions simple and yes. true to you, I, that's just, <laughs> that, that's just kind of what makes it best yeah I really like that yeah, yeah. Very cool. I think it's grief that's taught me that that's hit me many times in my life lot, a lot of losses and my experience with grief is that through allowing it and I don't know where I got the resilience to allow the feeling of it but I, I have somewhere from my ancestry so allowing that stuff that makes you want to just lie down and die allowing it to have its way in my body opens me out you know there's a lot I could say about that and I don't know what to say about that only for me it's true that if I allow the fullness of what it is to be human some kind of softness arrives into my life and I see more clearly I see the trees it's just luminous <laughs> you know so it's not a pain-free life but it's a broader spectrum life yeah yeah absolutely and, you know, I, I love what you said about how like cultivating compassion is a lifetime's work. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could share with the listeners kind of what that means to you. Yeah. Straight into my awareness comes Marshall Rosenberg, who developed the work nonviolent communication. So he was my first teacher in this, who told me I have needs and I didn't know I have needs. So understanding that it's okay to long for harmony and beauty and peace uh, is the foundation for it. So my work with compassion will always be an experience of some kind of inner pain. And then the inquiry, what are you longing for, Claire? So that's the process without strategy, but out of that dynamic comes all these images of well there's loads of ways you can bring that about Claire you know so without first there's this just patience at the threshold of the pain understanding the longing and then comes the inspiration for how to continue to build my life in that moment or in, in the next few moments you know so that would be the process and, and the great gift that is Marshall's book uh, nonviolent communication and he's definitely speaking about the post-dualistic era wow that's so cool i'm just learning about this post-dualistic era and yeah amazing i like it it makes sense Ooh, <laughs> yes and you know i also want to touch on your youtube videos i i just i yeah. love them i listen to the is it the you're too sensitive uh, part okay. one yeah and it was so calming to my nervous system to just 
sit there and watch it and listen to it. And I loved your what rises for you questions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I've never heard anybody ask that question before. Yes. What rises for you? So like yes. what, or what rises with you when you imagine yes. softening into yes. life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about you know, how you would respond to that? <laughs> I'm tearful in this moment to be so seen. Thank you. And my father, so often when I'm talking about my work, my father arrives mm -hmm. and I just get a sense he's on the other side now, but I guess he sense he's so proud of me and that I'm doing something he couldn't do. So what rises for me is sort of tears, absolute joy at being seen by you and witnessed by you and hearing some food I've put out nourishes it's just miraculous to hear it so the question what rises is the question I had for my father now Marshall Rosenberg gave that phrase to me and many other NVC teachers but it is, is of course the question I wanted to ask my father what's rising for you now dad that you're beating your family up physically what's rising for you and these beautiful, innocent children that wanted to love him, including myself. So what rose for him was he was also raised by a violent alcoholic and his nervous system was just destroyed, you know? So it's the most beautiful question for anybody in pain. And then the task is for the person with the regulated nervous system, hopefully a little bit of room, to just give room to what rises without wanting to change it or fix it. Because when that unfolds in the person, it's already informing them about their lives and what they need and what they want and what they can do. So, so much of what I do is sort of standing back and doing nothing, you know, but it's offering this spaciousness. It's within this spaciousness that I've cultivated, must be about 14 years now of you know, enough room to hear someone's pain outside of me without it triggering my own to a point where I can't hear them. So there might be triggers for me, but I'll be holding those and soothing those at the same time as hearing what's rising for the other. And I just think it's the most beautiful gift any human can offer another. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so beautifully said. And I just, I'm just so in awe of your ability to take perspective and have this such like deep level of compassion for your father, because I know that you said on, I think you said on your site that, um, you know, that was the way that your father showed you that he was in pain. Yes. And, and I just feel like, you know, the level, the meta level that you have <laughs> to go to, yes. to have that awareness and that perspective is huge. Like, how did yes. you get there and what are your tips? Because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who, you know, are dealing with a situation with domestic violence and, and they're just, you know, they're having a rough time with it. Yeah, I think the key is cultivating self-compassion, the capacity to self-regulate. So always to me, the words are the thing my father couldn't do. If he could have first noticed he was in pain, second, noticed his um, whatever was rising in his body, terror, desperation, if he'd noticed it, he would have had choice. Either 
maybe two or three choices. I can beat my family up, beat my, beat my wife up now, or I can scream for help. Or I know so-and-so down the road, I'll just go, or I'll just go for a walk. But his pain was so great that there was no choice. I guess it's always remembering that we have choice, but <laughs> it's a thing to cultivate because uh, if we have trauma in our system, it's immediate and there's a blindness. Right. So all these years I've been working with that blindness where I've said and done things that I regret, you know, the pain in me still. So it's been a life of, you know, doing, doing things in ways I would prefer to do differently and then mopping up and then noticing and then you know i know that we're just like on the topic of grief but right. um, i had written um an article on this blog and it was um titled how infjs cope with grief and so for yeah. our listeners who don't know yet claire is an infj in the yes. myers-briggs personality type system so we both are um yeah. and i had written this article um it was almost about 10 years after my father had passed away. So I'll give the listeners a little bit more context here. My father um, passed away unexpectedly when I was 17. Um, and I had such a hard time with that grief. And uh, I coped with it in like really, really rough ways, especially like during my college years, since it happened right after, you know, right when I was leaving high school. Um, and I became really intrigued, like by my own pain. And it made me think about how humans deal with grief, but specifically yeah. INFJs. And okay. um, I want to make this disclaimer that while we all cope with trauma, you know, in different ways, mm. um, I noted a few ways that I had coped with grief for me as an mm. INFJ. And so Claire, I'm going to list a couple of these things. And then I want to sure. know your take as an INFJ and yeah. whether um, you've, you know, felt like these things have helped you and maybe some of the other ways that you've yeah. coped with grief as an INFJ. Sure. All right. So the first one is there is no right way to grieve. Like everybody's way of grieving looks different. What do you think, Claire? Well, I, I've just found your work, Naomi, and I'm just was just relieved to hear it, read it and experienced resonance with it and um you know there's a real bullshit barometer in me that rises if anybody tells me to get over it I mean I if anything triggers me it's that I I can feel my rage just go don't even begin you know mm -hmm. so that's our culture's way is oh maybe three years time or it's got phases you know and I'm just going shove it you know yeah <laughs> yeah so I totally resonate with that Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the second one here is that connecting with others is key. So I remember in, you know, several stages of my grief, and I feel like I'm still processing it, but um, I really felt like self-isolating. Um, mm. And I don't know if that, you know, if that's common to INFJs or introverts or, but I really just needed this time alone mm. to process and just kind of be with myself internally to listen to my feelings and thoughts but yeah. what I'd forgotten about was how important connection was with others when I was you know had that availability in that space to do so yes. yeah what do you think amen to that <laughs> and one of the main people that I follow around grief is Francis Weller 
And he just said, we, we, we ought not to be doing this stuff on our own. None of this stuff on our own, but especially grief. And that it's composted together. So I have been part of, you know, quite a few groups where we just wept together, you know, five days sort of community. And, you know, we wept for the earth at the same time, you know, and for what's going on. And we wept for all the people in the group and with them for all their losses. This great healing for just having room for that. And it wasn't all... It wasn't a fearful thing where everybody's losing it. You know, it's just we sang, we held each other, we held hands um, and we shared our stories. So, you know, Naomi, it's only that you ask me that I remember. I've had a lot of that. And I think the, the other main thing that supports me is to never demand that it should leave. I don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to, <laughs> you know. But it's part of my human path. It's been very real on my path. And so I need to find ways. And I can wake any day to my own grief of, you know, my own story or grief about, you know, the chickens that are still not allowed outside. You know, it can be all sorts of things. So part of life and, and definitely something to be shared, share our stories together, share our losses, to compost it. And you know, I've often done that in nature with people and I just get a feeling the earth is going, thank you, humans, you know, about time you acknowledge this. Yeah, so. yep. absolutely. Yeah, there's something, you know, so like you said, sharing your story was something that yeah. you did. And I feel like there's something so magical and healing about sharing your story. So yes, yes. yes. yeah. Yeah, so thanks for chatting with me about grief and for those listeners who want to hear more about the um the other ways that I felt like I dealt with grief as an INFJ you guys can check that out um, that article out I'll just put it in the show notes here for everyone but right now I want to ask Claire all about being a highly sensitive person an empath um and talking about that kind of things those kinds of things about being um, a sensitive person having a sensitive nature so with that being said, Claire, do you consider yourself to be an empath or a highly sensitive person? Yeah, uh, both. And um, I'd love to find another word for highly sensitive, but just because I, I don't think the rest of the culture get what that means. I think they think you're just one of those sort of edgy, you know, touchy people. And it's not that it's we're built in a certain way where we are receiving vessels, aren't we? <laughs> you know, yep. and it's so beautiful. And what a gift to the world, you know, yep. I, I have just some hints of it when I was little of totally being in it, definitely memories there. But pretty much most of my life until very recently, most of being an INFJ being an empath wasn't wanted around me, you know, by hardly anybody so even though I knew my Myers-Briggs probably now for I don't know maybe eight years or something it's really since the work of Lauren Sapala who wrote the book the INFJ revolution I want to hug her and um, I just went stuff this for a game of soldiers then I'm just going to be myself so I'm doing that and what I find is that I'm becoming more and more receptive to life which means more and more my self-care becomes more radical because I want to be myself and this culture has no room for it, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So the two things go hand in hand for me, the acknowledgement of the fullness of the uniqueness of how I'm made and also how I live my life now and who I'm with, who I share my time with. Yeah, absolutely. And just talking about self-care, do you have any really solid tips for any of the listeners who are dealing with managing that energy drain that comes with being an empath, you know, the fatigue, kind of those common empath struggles? Do you have any tips on how to live a life of wellness? Well, I'm 58 now and my body's quite tired from living almost a whole life away from who I naturally am. So I think I'm tired quite a lot. Um, And maybe I wouldn't be if I had been in a culture that said, Claire, we love you. You're going to be in the garden a lot, honey, for most of your life, you know. So it's really new listening for me. Certainly um, my, my being in nature and being with animals uh, raises up my energy levels. Silence raises up my energy levels. Um, being in close connection, say with you now, this kind of thing raises up my energy levels because I'm speaking exactly from my intuition and the way I'm built. There's very little energy used. It's in fact, it's given me energy and I'm talking. So it's, you know, <laughs> introversion and talking. Um, but I, I'm talking from the, the part of my brain that's most natural, you know. So, you know, I guess just really listening, this self-connection, watching when energy goes down, watching when it goes up and building your life accordingly as much as you can, depending on demands. I guess that's the main thing, cultivating that self-listening, self-connection and self-respect. You know, as I work with people in my work, I want to be everything I can be for, you know, say a one-to-one session. To do that, I need to make sure I have this quiet time, the nurturing time, so that I am this vessel that has a regulated nervous system, you know. So my work certainly means I have to be more vigilant about where I put myself because my work is what it's about, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and thinking about all that too, um, what are some important boundaries that you believe that, you know, empaths need to have, especially? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wrote a blog myself recently about belonging and unbelonging. That's been my pattern and I've decided it's normal. (laughs) Instead of beating myself up for constantly joining groups and going, what the hell? And get myself out of there again, or even friendships and going, what the hell? And get myself out, you know? Pardon the interruption. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? The platform that I use to host my podcast, which is Podbean, is offering my listeners one month free if they sign up with the link in my show notes. So if you have been feeling the call to creatively express yourself through the mode of podcasting, then check out the link in my bio and get one month free on Podbean and start your show today. About boundaries, yeah, that's it's so difficult. Again, early days for Claire. But I'm finding the more that I sit in the seat of who I am, the true seat, I'm more able to say, you know what, this is not okay for me and I'm sorry. And it can mean the end of a friendship and it's painful, you know. 
And, that, and that's just the path with boundaries. It's painful to put them down, but I love myself, you know, now. And I want to build self-worth. I matter. And if there are people in my close proximity that don't see that, it's not okay for me anymore, you know? Yeah, I love that so much. Oh, what you said about I matter, like that message of you matter, that's yes. huge. And that's, that's really standing out for me. And I think that's yeah. something that the listeners really you know needed to hear today if you're out there you matter 100 yes. percent. yeah absolutely and you know that's been a life lifelong getting that thought at the forefront for me because I didn't matter when I was little my father mattered in his pain so to turn that right back around to actually I do at any point in my life is a true celebration and for any of us because mostly culture says think of the other uh, but the way forward is for us to fully inhabit ourselves and become an invitation for other humans, you know? Absolutely. Oh, I'm loving all of this. This is such an amazing, deep, <laughs> nourishing and insightful conversation. Oh. And just as we're wrapping up here, I wanna know just like maybe one of your favorite influential, maybe thought leaders that you have, you know, followed maybe through books or, um, maybe through coaching or maybe a podcast? What, what's that one thought leader that comes to mind that you would recommend to others? They're all rushing in. I'll <laughs> pick David White. Through his poetry, um, he has supported me to fully inhabit myself, to arrive home to myself. So I've had a lot of teachers, including Marsha Rosenberg, that have supported that. But it's through his imagery, John O'Donoghue as well, you know. It's the imagery that meets me, you know, because I'm an INFJ. I don't like step to step. Give me an image. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they give me these beautiful images, you know, of swans and swans in water and <laughs> all sorts of things um, that help me to, okay, it's okay to arrive home. Keep arriving home. Yeah. Oh. Thank you so much. And just thank you so much also for being so willing to answer all of my interview yeah. questions. Um, and before I let you go, where can our audience find you online? My website is www.senseoflife.co.uk. So that was difficult for my brain. I've been off in intuition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the main, my website's the main place. And from there, you'll, they'll be able to know where my Twitter and Instagram and YouTube is from there. Awesome. Nice. I will also link your website. Um, Thank you. Easy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I ask people like, you know, say their website name because even mine's like very long too. And I'm like, I would just link it for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, I don't mind you asking. And it's in a beautiful demonstration of my, my sort of the detail part of my brain is if I'm, if I'm gone off, which I did turn into intuition, it's so far away. <laughs> yep. Same for me. <laughs> I'm with you that INFJ. Yep. INFJ life. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Claire. And I really appreciated you being here today. And yeah, I just want to say thank you and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Naomi. It's been wonderful. So what did you think of the episode? If you loved it, I would greatly appreciate it if you left me a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to the show on right now. Go ahead and rate us with the number of stars that you see fit. 
and go ahead and leave a little comment and this will help get the podcast out to other like-minded and like-sold people like you. Thank you so much and I will see you back on the next episode. Mahalo. Have you been seeing repeating numbers over and over again? Maybe you're seeing 1111 when you happen to glance at the clock. Or maybe you're seeing 222, 333, 444, or 555 all day, every day. Either way, I'm sure you're wondering what all of these repeating angel numbers mean and what you can do when you see them. I've got you. Check out the angel number cheat sheet. This is your personal guide to interpret those angel numbers that you've been seeing. No more guessing. You have the answers here. This is a 12-page PDF that covers the 12 commonly seen angel numbers, and this is the perfect resource for you to keep in your back pocket, aka your phone. I personally like to keep mine in my iBooks, Kindle, or Google Drive app on my phone for quick reference so that I can interpret the meaning of the angel number whenever I see it in real time. This guide is going to make it a whole lot easier for you to interpret the messages that you're receiving from the universe in the moment that you receive them. Download the angel number cheat sheet today and may all the manifesting miracles be in your favor. Click the link in the show notes to check it out.